Thanks, Emily. Hey, good morning, guys. Uh, my name is Benji Cash. I'm not on staff here, which is great, because if you guys don't like what you hear this morning, you can't email me, right? So that's a great, a great thing. If you're here last week, we began our, our 40 series throughout the summer. And so Dave Rose opened us up, and we're going to begin to look out, uh, look at throughout the summer the number 40 in Scripture. And in each of the number 40 stories, we see uh, there's a season in there. There's, there's usually coming from something through a season of 40, whether that be 40 days or 40 years and moving into a season of something else. And so Dave opened us up last week. This morning we're going to be in Exodus. We're going to look at the story of Moses on Mount Sinai for 40 days. But before uh, I think we can get to uh, Moses on Sinai for 40 days fasting and in God's presence, we've got to back way up to the first time uh, that he encountered God on that same mountain. So if you've got your Bibles, go ahead and pull those out or turn them on. Uh, unless you've got an Android, leave that thing in your pocket. We've got folks that will give you a real Bible uh, in your hand. You can slip up a hand. If you're taking notes this morning, I, wanna, I want you guys to write down these references because we're going to kind of move through three chunks of Scripture. Uh, so we're going to kind of thumb through and get to them uh, fairly quickly and read them in the introduction. So if you're a little bit you know, behind, thumbing over there, I want you guys to write them down to at least have them. So we're going to open, uh, open up this morning. The first passage is going to be Exodus 3, verses 1 through 6, and then 13 through 15. And then we'll go to chapter 4, verse 1, and verses 10 through 17. Then we're going to move a little bit farther down into the story, and we're going to look at chapter 19, 16 through 20. And then chapter 24, 9 through 18. And then last but not least, we will get to chapter 33, verse 7 through 11, and chapter 34, 29 through 35. And if we could summarize our time this morning, this is what it would be. It would be we're moving from a place of fear and uncertainty of God's voice and presence to a place of consistency and confidence in the same voice and the same presence. We're going to look at the life of Moses going from a place of fear and uncertainty and hesitation and moving over into this place of this confidence and this rhythm with God. So if you'll pray with me this morning. Father, thank you. God, thank you that you're the same God, Lord, that spoke to Moses through the bush and continued to fall your presence and, and desire to meet with Moses and that you are the same God. And in, in that faith, Lord, we ask that your presence will settle in this room right now. God, I pray that whatever we walk in here with, Lord, the burdens, the aches, the pains of life, Lord, I pray that as we walk in here, you would alleviate that from us and that your presence will settle so thick in this place that it would be undeniable that you were here meeting with us. And Holy Spirit, I yield myself, I give you my mouth, I give you my tongue, Lord, what, uh, let no word be uttered that is not from your heart. In the name of Jesus, amen. All right, starting out, we're going to read Exodus chapter 3, starting out in verse 1. It says, now Moses was keeping the flock of his father-in-law Jethro, the priest of Midian. And he led his flock to the west side of the wilderness and came to Horeb, the mountain of God. That is the same mountain as Mount Sinai. Horeb, the mountain of God, and Sinai, it's the same thing. So he comes to the mountain of God, which is Sinai. And verse 2 says, and the angel of the Lord. Anytime you see Lord in all caps, that is in place of God's name, Yahweh. So the angel of Yahweh appeared to him in a flame of fire out of the midst of the bush. And he, being Moses, looked 
And behold, the bush was burning, yet it was not consumed. And Moses said, I'll turn aside to see this great sight, why the bush is not burned. And when Yahweh saw that he turned aside to him, God called him out of the bush, Moses, Moses. And he said, here I am. Then God said, do not come near, but rather take off your sandals off your feet, for the place on which you're standing is holy ground. This is huge. We'll come back to that later. Verse 6, and and he said, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. And Moses hid his face, for he was afraid to look at God. Verse 13, God begins to speak to Moses, and Moses, in verse 13, Moses says to God, if I come to the people of Israel and say to them, the God of your fathers has sent me to you, and they ask me, what is his name, what shall I say to them? God said to Moses, I am who I am. And he said, say this to the people of Israel, I am has sent me to you. And God also said to Moses, say this to the people of Israel, that Yahweh, the God of your fathers, of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, has sent me to you. This is my name forever, and thus I am to be remembered throughout all generations. Moving over to chapter 4, verse 1. God continues to speak to Moses, but Moses answered, But behold, they will not believe me or listen to my voice, for they will say, The Lord did not appear to you. Verse 10 And Moses said to the Lord, Oh, my Lord, I am not eloquent either in the past or since you've spoken to your servant, but I am slow of speech and of tongue. And then Yahweh said to him, Who has made man's mouth? Who makes him mute or deaf or seeing or blind? Is it not I, Yahweh? Now therefore go, and I will be with your mouth, and I will teach you what you shall speak. Verse 13, but he said, Oh, Lord, will you send someone else? And it says, and the anger of Yahweh was kindled against Moses. And he said, is there not Aaron, your brother, the Levite? I know that he can speak well. Behold, he's coming out to meet you. And when he sees you, he will be glad in his heart. You shall speak to him and put the words in his mouth. And I will be with your mouth and with his mouth and will teach you both what to do. Verse 16, he shall speak for you to the people and he shall be your mouth. And you shall be as God to him. And take in your hand the staff in which you shall do these things. So we open up here in this this first piece because I think it's so important that before we can move to the man Moses becomes in the presence of God, we gotta look at where he began. And so we're, we're opening up, and Moses, he first, you can imagine, he's, he's been uh, wandering in the desert as a shepherd for 40 years, right? Moses grew up in, in the palace with Pharaoh. He had all the wealth and the prestige, but yet he saw his people. He was born an Israelite, and though he was in Pharaoh's household, he saw his people, man, his heart got heavy for him. He looked at God's people and he's like, man, like, like it, it, it aches me, it burdens me that they're, they're, they're so uh, oppressed and they're so uh, distressed. And so in a moment of fleshly rage, Moses goes out and he strikes down and he kills one of the Egyptians. And when it gets wind and Moses catches wind that people know about this, he takes off and he runs and he flees. And so he finds himself a shepherd. In the flesh, he sees himself as uneloquent. He sees himself as poor speech. He sees himself probably as a murderer and sees himself as nothing more than a dirty, stinky shepherd who hangs out with sheep in the field. And Moses, when he's wandering through the desert now with the sheep, he comes to this mountain, and it says that he sees this bush that is ablaze in fire. I love Moses. He's like, "Uh, I need to go take a closer look at that. Right? He's like, there's this bush that's ablaze, but it's not, on, uh, it's not catching fire and burning per se. The voice of God, of Yahweh, spoke and said, Moses, Moses. And we read throughout these first passages that he freaks out, as I probably would have too. 
He sees this bush, and then God begins to speak to him for the first time. He's never really stepped into the presence of God. He doesn't know the voice of God. He doesn't even know who he's speaking to. And it's in this place God begins to, to tell Moses, hey, I want to use you actually to deliver my people. Man, I'm going to use you in miraculous ways. I'm going to show signs and wonders throughout Egypt and to set my people free. That's going to blow your mind. Moses' response is, I really wish you'd send somebody else. And God says, no, no, don't you know, I'm the one that, that created man's mouth. I'm the one that determines uh, how, how you speak and the words that you utter. Will you trust me? And Moses says, no, I think, think it's better if you use someone else. And I love, even in this, as we encounter Moses at first in the presence, God's graciousness was that he, he brought Aaron and said, okay, I'll still send somebody with you. And from this place, Moses then goes, he, he must have at least a little bit of courage to where he walks back into Egypt with Aaron and with the presence of God, and God begins to say, Moses, do this. And Moses probably thought, that is the wildest, craziest thing I've ever, you want me to do what, and the Nile's going to turn to blood? You want me to say what, and all these swarms of flies and frogs are going to come? Like, the first time you hear this, Moses is probably thinking, that is insane, I had one of my students, I work on staff with NG3, and we were with our students one night and going through the gospel. My students are like, why does it the disciples always seem so surprised when Jesus did something? And I told them, I was like, you've got to realize that's the first time they'd ever seen bread and fish multiply. And they're like, didn't know that was possible. And then they're in a boat, and the storm calms. They're like, I didn't know that was possible. And so the same thing, Moses is beginning to walk in the presence of God and listen to his voice, and he begins to have to walk and to act and say, God, that sounds ridiculous or that sounds crazy, but he begins to grow in his confidence. And so now we find ourselves that, that through Moses and, and his mouth and the powers that God worked in Egypt, God's people are set free. And they cross the Red Sea, and they're now wandering through the desert on the way to the promised land. And one of the things God had told Moses, he says, as a sign, as a sign to you that I am who I say I am, leading you to do these things, once your people are set free, once my people are set free, I'm going to lead you back here to this same place. And, and so the Israelites now, they've been set free. They'd seen God work these miraculous things in Egypt. They've crossed the sea, but they still haven't seen God's presence and so we're going to go to chapter 19. And this is the first time where, where God's people are now going to see what, what God's presence looks like. And so in chapter 19, starting out in verse 16, it says that on the morning of the third day, there was thunders and lightnings and a thick cloud on the mountain. This is Mount Sinai. And a very loud trumpet blast so that all the people in the camp began to tremble. And then Moses brought the people out of the camp to meet with God, and they took their stand at the foot of the mountain. Now Mount Sinai was wrapped in smoke because Yahweh had descended on it in fire. The smoke of it went up like the smoke of a kiln, and the whole mountain trembled greatly. I would underline that. The mountain of God, under God's presence, the earth trembled Verse 19, it says, And as the sound of the trumpet grew louder and louder, Moses spoke, and God answered him in thunder. And then Yahweh came down on Sinai to the top of the mountain, and Yahweh called Moses to the top of the mountain, and Moses went up. Go over to chapter 24. 24, verse 9. 
And in another instance, it says that, verse 9, that Moses and Aaron and Nadab and Abihu and 70 of the elders, they went up. And it says that they saw the God of Israel. And there was under his feet, as it were, a pavement of sapphire stone, like the very heaven for clearness. And he did not lay his hand on the chief men of the people of Israel, underline or highlight this, they beheld God and they ate and drank. We'll come back to this later. Verse 12, and Yahweh said to Moses, come up to me on the mountain and wait there that I may give you the tablets of stone with the law and the commandments which I have written for their instruction. So Moses rose with his assistant Joshua and Moses went into the mountain with God and he said to the elders, wait here for us until we return. Verse 15, then Moses went up to the mountain and the cloud covered the mountain. And the glory of Yahweh dwelt on Sinai, and the cloud covered it six days. And on the seventh day, he called to Moses out of the midst of the cloud. Now the appearance, uh, the appearance of the glory of Yahweh was like a devouring fire on top of the mountain and in the sight of the people of Israel. And Moses entered the cloud and went up to the mountain. And Moses was on the mountain 40 days and 40 nights. In the second piece, and we'll, we'll come back to a lot of this, but we, we begin to see now Moses is, is, is encountered God's presence. He begins to go back to Egypt. He begins to listen to the voice of God. He begins to, to act on what he hears God say. And then as God brings his people out, as he sets them free, he brings them right back to this place of holy sacred ground. And Moses begins this rhythm, and he begins this consistency of pattern of going up into the mountain in the presence of God to meet with him. And it's in this place that God would give him instructions for the people. He would give them instructions on in how to come and to worship and to find intimacy with him. And finally, we get to chapter 33. 33, verse 7. These are beautiful words, guys. And if you've got a highlight, I mean, I'd highlight these next couple passages. Verse 7 says, now Moses used to take the tent, he'd pitch it outside the camp, far off the camp, and he called it the tent of meeting. And everyone who sought Yahweh would go out to the tent of meeting, which is outside the camp. Whenever Moses went out to the tent, all the people would rise up and each would stand at his tent door and watch Moses until he'd gone into the tent. And when Moses entered the tent, the pillar of cloud would descend and stand at the entrance of the tent, and Yahweh would speak with Moses. And when all the people saw the pillar of cloud standing at the entrance of the tent, all of the people would rise up and worship each at his tent door. And thus Yahweh, underline this, guys, would speak to Moses face to face as a man speaks to his friend. And lastly, in chapter 34, verse 29, in this rhythm and in this pattern of being in the presence of God, chapter 34, verse 29 says that when Moses, another time, came down from Sinai, he had the two tablets of the testimony in his hand, and Moses did not know that the skin of his face shone because he had been talking with God. Verse 30 says, Aaron and all the people of Israel saw Moses, and behold, the skin of his face shone, and they were afraid to come near to him. But Moses called to them, and Aaron and all the elders of the congregation returned, and Moses talked to them. Afterward, all the people of Israel came near, and he commanded them all that Yahweh had spoken with him on Mount Sinai. And when Moses had finished speaking with them, he put the veil over his face. Whenever Moses went in before the Lord to speak with him, he would remove the veil until he came out. And when he came out and told the people of Israel what was commanded, the people of Israel would see that Moses' face, that the skin of Moses' face was shining. Moses would put the veil over his face again. 
until he went in to speak with him. As we, are, we look through this, these encounters with Moses, if you're taking notes this morning, I think there's three things that we see and three things that we're going to expand on this morning. The first one is that initially we see Moses was afraid and uncertain. Number two, we see him moving into consistency. And number three, he grows in a confidence and a rhythm with God. That, that we see in these first couple passages here with Moses, that, that Moses, when God begins to speak, he's terrified. He's like, man, I, I don't know who you are. I can't understand the magnitude of what I see. I don't know your voice. This stuff sounds crazy. How do I know I can trust you? And he's afraid. And, and I think the first question for us that we asked this morning is, man, how many of us have felt that same way? Like, man, I've just got this fear because I don't know what God may say to me. I've got this fear because I feel like God can't use me. I've got this fear because I'm afraid that he's going to ask me to do something that I don't want to do. And man, I found myself there so often to say, like, Lord, I'm, I'm almost afraid to enter into your presence and to pray and to ask for you to speak because I'm afraid you're going to ask me to do something that terrifies me. Like, like Moses and even myself, and I'm sure we could find ourselves here, like, God, I don't have anything to offer you. Like, why would you use me? Like, I'm not special. I can't talk well. I don't have any special gifts or abilities or, or talents. What do you want to use me for? And we're afraid. And what I've learned and what we see Moses grow and learn in here is that God will never speak to you for your harm. Like, God says, no, 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 Moses, I know that you're wrapped up in the flesh and you can only see what the, 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 the natural allows your eyes to see, but I want to use you. I want to speak to you. Like, if you'll be so in tune to my presence and voice, like, I want to reveal myself to you. And we see Moses, so he's, he's afraid, he's uncertain. He's like, man, I just don't think I'm good enough. The second thing is that we see Moses then move into this place though, of consistency. And I love that as he goes from Sinai the first time, he returns to Egypt. And again, like God said, Moses, I need you to strike the Nile. I need you to say this to Pharaoh. I need you to do these things. And Moses had to take some risk. Like Moses, as he grew in learning the voice of the Father, he's like, man, this stuff sounds crazy. This, this stuff is, I've never, I've never experienced it before. Nobody's ever seen this take place before, but he begins to act, and in acting, he begins to grow in trust, and he begins to be more in tune, and he begins to believe that when God speaks, he's like, man, I know if God speaks, and I trust that he's gonna show up. And we see Moses then in chapter 19, and in chapter 24, he grows in this consistency. And I love in chapter 24, verse 11, how it says that they went up to the mountain. It says that in the presence of God, they ate and they drank. And as we just wrapped up our series through Meals with Jesus, we, we were looking at this idea that like in the Israelite culture, even still today, like the sign of having a meal with somebody was this great intimate act. When we first got off the plane last July uh, on our trip to Israel, Atta, our tour guide, he immediately brought, uh, bought a loaf of bread. And Cindy, you were there, and you could attest to this. Like, Atta, he took that bread, and he broke it up into pieces, and he gave it to everybody on the team in the group. Because for Atta, we weren't just having a snack after our flight. But to Atta, it says, man, I am having a meal with you, and in doing so, you are now family to me. Like, I've got you. You're my people. I will take care of you. I'll make sure you're protected. You are family. 
And it's this profound mystery, guys, that should blow our minds that as Moses and the priests and the people went up into the presence of God, it says they ate and they drank with him. Like this idea of like, man, we serve a God. He's like, man, I I want you close to me. I want to be intimate with you. I'm not ashamed of you. I'm not disappointed of you. Like, man, I want you to come to the table so that I can feed you and eat with you. It's this intimate picture. And this should, like, guys, this should blow our mind, honestly, to think, man, if we just serve a God that is about coming into church for an hour and a half on a Sunday, and that is it, then we serve a really small God. But we see as he grows in this consistency that the priests and the people of God, it says when they walked up on the mountain, they could only see the footstool of God because God's glory is too big and profound to see the fullness. Scripture says that God dwells in unapproachable light. Like we can't even come close to touching the sun or getting close to the sun for we'll burn. And God is the one who created the sun, and yet God is so much brighter that in the new earth we won't need the sun because God's glory will be there. And it's this that the people of God and Moses begin to see, that fire and smoke and lightning and thunder to the point to where this mountain was shaking and rattling. And the priest said, man, I saw like this emerald pavement under the footstool of God, and in this sacred, intimate space, God says, man, I want you guys to come. I want to eat with you. I want you guys to dine at my table because I want to be intimate with my children because I love you and I care about you and I want you here. I'm not mad. I'm not disappointed. I don't hate you. God's picture and and the desire through Jesus is that we would come to the presence. We would come to the holy, sacred mountain with God and eat in his presence. And it's in this place where we find such intimacy. And we find this oneness and we find this connection with the Father. And last March, I began to, to meet with my now mentor. And very early on, as he and I began to get to know each other, I looked and I was like, man, there's something different about him. Like there's something different about when this guy talks about his time with the Lord, when this guy talks about his prayer time, I mean, he's talking about a God that I don't know. Like there's this different level of depth and intimacy with him where it's like, man, when you speak of God, you speak as if a friend that you're talking to on the phone. And like growing up, I grew up in a, in a Baptist background. And so I think like prayer for me a lot was like we'd like loft up these words and stuff like in the morning, right? We just kind of loft up these prayers and then we kind of go about our day and we just wonder something in the cosmos is like going to shift. And we're like, I don't know, it's in line with something I said, right? And I thought maybe God's presence was a quiet time or reading the, the verse of the day on my phone so that I could go back and say, yeah, I mean, I have my quiet time. I spent God, time in God's presence. But I met this guy, and I was like, man, there's something more to you. Like there's this different level of depth that when you talk about hearing from God, like you actually believe he spoke to you. And then he would act on it, and it would prove to be true. And I was like, that's something different right there. That's something more than just showing up to church. That's something more than just having my quiet time kind of God. He was serving this God who he believed welcomed him into the intimate spaces with him. And that he would speak, and he believed that he'd speak back to him. And I began to, to walk with him and, and, and learn from this guy. And I was like, man, I've got to have what you have. If that is just even the, the scraping the surface off the depth of God, like whatever it takes, or I want to get to that level of intimacy with you. 
Because we serve a God that does not desire just for us to show up to a service. If you want a good service, go to the row for lunch. If you want a good service, go work in a restaurant industry. But if you want to come and encounter the presence of God and worship, guys, like church is meant to be this space where a bunch of micro churches throughout our city and a bunch of people filled with the holy presence of God join together. And scripture says we are like these Lincoln logs of the temple of God that he is building together where his presence dwells and rests. And my, my prayer, my hope is that we become a church with the expectation of when we gather together, we expect for our eyes to be opened and to see the throne room of God rest in this place as Moses and the elders did when they went and were intentional with meeting with God. Because that's what's possible. And so we began to meet and Jason and I, and I was like, man, I, I don't know that I know what the Father's voice sounds like. Like, man, if he asked, like, man, like, what's the Lord telling you and talking to you? I was like, man, I could back to a couple years ago when my wife and I were praying through some stuff, and there were some really, like, supernatural ways God answered those prayers, and I could kind of, but when he was like, man, what's the Lord showing you right now? I mean, I don't know. I, I don't know what that voice sounds like. I was talking to somebody after the first service, and, and he's like, man, I've got this, these fears, and sometimes it's like, Lord, is that my voice? Is that your voice? And it's just going back and forth, and that's a good struggle to have. But I knew, I was like, man, whatever it takes to get to that kind of intimacy, I got to have it. I want that level of intimacy with the Lord. And you begin to grow in this desire. And I love in James 4, chapter 8, James says, draw near to God and that he will draw near to you. And this idea that as they ate and as they drank, God says, man, I want to invite you in. I want to be intimate with you. I want to dine with you. But yet when the presence of God would fall on Sinai and God would call Moses up, Moses still had the decision to make to walk up the mountain. And if you've never researched or looked at Mount Sinai, it dwarfs Stone Mountain. So if you've ever walked up Stone Mountain and got to the top of that, that was ridiculous. I'm never doing that again. Imagine God calling you to three or four times that height over and over and over. You can imagine Moses would have had a great excuse to think, God, I'm tired. These Israelites are ticking me off. They're always complaining. You put me in charge. You gave the manna. Manna wasn't good enough. And we had to ask for quail. And quail wasn't good enough. Like, Man, I'm tired, man. These people are wearing me out. I got a lot going on. And plus, you want me to hike up that mountain over and over again? Like, my legs are tired. My feet, I just got sandals. I don't even have hokas. Like, I am worn out. But we see that, that as God's presence would fall, there was something that Moses encountered in that intimate space where he's like, I don't care what the journey looks like. I don't care how long you're calling me up there. And he would go and he would lay before God and he would fast and he would pray and he grew in this consistency and this rhythm with God. Which leads us to number three, that as he walked in this, he grew in a confidence and a rhythm. And I think this is some of the most powerful pieces of scripture here. That Moses had such a regularity and a rhythm meeting with God. I love it says that man, other people would stand at the front of their tents and worship God as they saw Moses enter into worship. Like guys, as the church, 
as the church, Moses had such a rhythm with God that when the Israelites and the people would see Moses enter in to worship, they'd say, man, James enters worship in such a way that is so different than anything I've seen. That when Steve leads or, or when Todd goes into prayer or Emma begins to worship and I see her worship, it's like, man, I, I've never experienced that depth and it says that the Israelites, they would just come out of their tents and said, man, Moses is going to meet with God. And when the presence of God fell and Moses would talk face to face, it said the Israelites would then begin to worship God because what they saw take place in Moses' life. And guys, the church, we are meant to be the kind of people that have such a regularity and a rhythm and a confidence of meeting with the Lord and hearing from the Lord and acting on what he says that an unbelieving world could look at your life and say, man, I got to have what they have. There's something different about when they worship. When they talk about this relationship they have with this God that I've never experienced, there's things in the cosmos and in the world that take place and shift when that happens, when they meet with him. And if our church, if we became the kind of people that said, man, I desire that level of intimacy with the Lord, these church walls, these doors could not hold the amount of people, I believe, that would rush in here. But again, I think we have nullified God down to a service. I think we have cut him down to to coffee and kids programs, and, and those things are okay and they're good. But if that's the only level of God that we serve, then we are missing out on so much. When we, when we go out from this place and the conversation is, well, how was church? It's like, ah, oh, it was okay, the worship was all right, coffee was a little bland today, the message was so-so. Like, what, what, what is the, the draw for people to say, man, I want to go spend time there? Right, because we look at it with this service mindset of I'm here to be served and if the service isn't great, if it's not quick and my drinks don't come out fast enough, I'm not going back to eat there. But the picture is no, God's people are to come into an intimacy, they're to ask for my presence to dwell with them and it changes us. So that when Moses would leave Mount Sinai and he began to walk back down, it says that his face shone like his physical appearance was altered and the people were afraid, but they knew he's been in the presence of God. Guys, what would it look like as a church to say, man, we have spent such time in God's presence that there is something about my physical body and appearance that is altered. So when I walk with my family, when I go to work, when I walk down the streets, when I come into church, people could look and say, that guy's been with God. That woman has been in the presence with Jesus. Because this wasn't just secluded or this wasn't just designated for Moses, but because of the Holy Spirit through the death and resurrection of Jesus, the promise is that presence of God now dwells with everyone who says Jesus is Lord and surrenders to him. And I just wonder if we're, we're missing something, guys. Like I just wonder if we're, we're, we're just not desiring, we're just not tapping into the level of depth and the availability that God wants to offer us as a church. We see Moses, he continues to go and he experiences God and he moves in this confidence and in a rhythm. Hebrews 4, 16 says, let us then approach God's throne of grace with confidence 
so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. We serve a God that through Jesus Christ and the Holy Spirit that dwells in all people surrendered to him. Man, like we can walk into his presence with boldness and confidence. Like, man, you're a mess. I'm a mess. God didn't pick Moses because he was just some stud walking around that had it all going together. God didn't pick the disciples because they had the resume that everybody else did. I mean, they were a mess, but they were willing to follow him. They were desiring. They said, Jesus, where are you going? I love the one story in the gospel where it says Jesus was walking, and I think it was Philip and Andrew began to follow. It says Jesus turned around and said, what do you want? They said, we just want to know where you're going. (laughs) Man, there was nothing special about them. They were fishermen. They were tax collectors. They were jacked up people. They said, man, I want to follow you. I want to know you. I want to learn from you. I want to be in this intimate space. I want to eat with you and dine with you. And that is the God that we serve, that we can now, because of Jesus, with confidence, enter into the throne room and walk up the mountain of God where his presence dwells and rests. That is available for us as followers of Jesus. And I pray, God, that as a church, we would be the people who spend such time so desiring, so hungry, yearning to meet with the Lord so that an unbelieving world would look and say, that is different than anything I've ever seen. There's something different about those people. And I love that as some of the disciples were standing trial before the Sanhedrin in the book of Acts, it says they looked and it says that they were unschooled common men who had been with Jesus. It doesn't take anything fancy. It doesn't take you having it all together. Unschooled, common men and women who have been with Jesus. So we ask, then, how do we, how do we get there, though? What are some practical ways that we can begin to actually step into uh, this space with Jesus? And there's six things we're going to run through. Number one, as we read initially with Moses, it is this. If you're taking notes, number one is to find holy ground. Like, I love that this is a beautiful thing that when Moses begins to walk close to the presence of God, God says, don't come any farther. Take off your shoes because you're on holy ground. And early on, as Jason and I, as we began to walk together, I'd notice we'd come in here for prayer and worship sometimes, and he'd kick off his shoes before he came to worship. And I began, excuse me, to, to watch and observe and curious of why he was doing that. It's this whole idea that there's nothing special about taking off your shoes. But it is a physical reminder for our mind, for our heart, for our body, that when I kick my shoes off, it is this picture that I am stepping on the sacred, holy ground. And then one day he brought to me this prayer rug of his. And he said, same thing, there's nothing special about this rug, but he said, God told me to give you this rug as a representation that when you lay this mat out and when you step or when you kneel or when you bow on this rug, it is a simple physical reminder that you are entering holy ground with the Father. And so I began to use this mat and even in my home, beginning to ask the Lord, like, what are places that I can deem holy, sacred ground? And so the Lord began to show me one of the places where he's met me and where I've kind of consecrated his holy ground is in my master bedroom closet. There's nothing special about the room. There's nothing fancy about it. It's got clothes hanging up, hats on the rack, and I I bow next to shoes. 
But there is something that takes place when God spoke to Moses, you were on holy ground. Moses had to take a step back and remember, I am not God. We elevate ourselves, we elevate our lives, we elevate our desires to where we begin to think that we're God at times. And in doing so, we might need a physical representation of removing your shoes or a specific place in your office or your home or wherever it would be to say, when I enter into that room, that is holy, sacred ground. And there's nothing special about the room. That's not the only place God will meet you, but there is something special about the room and that it's a reminder that this is where I come to meet with the Lord. When I know, when my heart is longing, when it is yearning and hungry, when there's a stirring in my soul, and I think, Lord, I just want to hear from you. I want to meet with you. I know that I go to my closet because God, is, his presence has fallen there. God has spoken words to me. I have encountered God's presence in that closet like I've never encountered it elsewhere. And I know, man, that's holy ground, man. That's where God meets with me. And so the number one thing is, man, find somewhere. Ask the Lord, where is somewhere that would be deemed as holy ground? That is special. That is set apart so that when I think of that place, when my heart is just longing to hear from the Lord, it's like, man, that's, man, that's my sanctuary. That, that, that I'm going to take my shoes off. I'm going to go and bow down on this sacred holy ground, Lord, because, man, this is where you've met with me before. And Moses met with God on Sinai, and as he returned to Sinai, he'd go up and down and up and down, and God's presence would fall, and he'd talk to him, and his life was changed. Number two, as we're growing and learning to hear from the Father, the number two thing would be is to write down what you think you hear. Like I remember early on, like I would, I, I would spend time in prayer, or I'd be fasting, or we'd be in worship, and I'd you know, get these images, or my, my imagination would almost get sparked up, or I feel like I'd hear this thing, or something would be laid on my heart, and I'd just write it down. And then I would take what I wrote down, and number three would be take what you've written down to other believers for confirmation. And so with what I felt like I heard and what I believed God was telling me, I would begin to write it down and I'd go to Jace and I'd go to other followers of Jesus who'd been walking with him and hearing from God for a while and I said, man, does this sound like God? Like, man, I'm trying to learn. I want to I know what his voice sounds like. I want to be in tune to where it says the sheep will know the shepherd's voice. And I feel like that the shepherd's voice sounds like lots of voices right now and I don't want to walk out of the pen following the wrong shepherd. Does this sound like our shepherd? And through biblical community, we could take these things that says, man, I really believe this is what God's saying, and you can test it. Man, to either be affirmed or to grow in confidence and say, man, I might tap the brakes on that one, right? The fourth thing would be then take it to Scripture as well. Like nothing God says will ever contradict this book. So as we enter into his presence, as we step into our holy, sacred ground, and we begin to pray, and we've got to sit silent and listen and God speaks, and what we feel like God is speaking to us, we write it down, and then we, we call an accountability partner or a mentor, and we say, man, this is what I feel like. Does this sound like the Lord? And then we're going to take it to Scripture and say, does this align with God's word and his character? These are all ways that we're growing and trusting and learning his voice. Number five, test what you hear. So as we enter in, as we hear, as we write it down, as we confirm it, I believe that's from God. The next thing is Moses had to act. Like, like, 
Man, James will write like, man, your faith without works is dead. Not that you are, you gain faith through works, but naturally if the faith of Jesus is within us and is rolling through us, then we should be persuaded to action. And so Moses, he heard these things from God. And again, he probably thought, that, that sounds crazy. But he went and he tested it and he's like, man, I'm trusting God that if you're speaking this, you'll show up. And he would act and God would show up. And so for us, this idea of, man, when we feel like God is saying, man, I want you to encourage somebody with this word. Man, I want you to generously give to that person. Man, I want you to go and and to serve in this way or to do this thing. Like, we have to take the choice. We've got to make the decision to say, okay, Lord, I'm going to act on that. And sometimes we may hear a word and we may say, Lord, I'm going to test this. I feel like this is from you. And maybe it's not. And that's okay because we're still learning. And then we hear it again. We feel like, man, okay, Lord, I feel like this is from you as well. And we act and we see God show. We think, okay, that was your voice. So then we can begin to decipher between what was when I acted on it and maybe what wasn't. That moves me to a place of confidence in knowing his voice. Do you guys with that? Does that make sense? Number six and the last thing for us this morning is this. To be patient and consistent. To be patient and consistent. Because I don't, like, man, like, personally, like, I don't always get this mountaintop fire from heaven word when I'm in God's presence. Like, not every time I go into my prayer closet and bow do I, do I have lightning and fire and tongues from heaven type stuff fall. It doesn't happen. But sometimes it does. But like Moses, and my encouragement for you is there's got to be this patient consistency. I want to read this little passage from you here. William Martin, he writes, he says, Do not ask your children to strive for extraordinary lives. He says, Such striving may seem admirable, but it is the way of foolishness. He says, Help them instead to find the wonder and the marvel of an ordinary life. Show them the joy of tasting tomatoes and apples and pears. Show them how to cry when pets and people die. Show them the infinite pleasure in the touch of a hand and make the ordinary come alive for them. The extraordinary will take care of itself. And in patience and in consistency, we grow to be okay with the ordinariness of spending time with the Father. Like we grow okay with the ordinariness. Like maybe I don't get this profound word. Maybe God's presence doesn't just like overwhelm me to tears this morning. But man, I'm okay with the ordinariness of just spending time reading this word. I'm okay with the ordinariness of just watching the sun come up and basking in his glory that a new day is here. I'm okay with just my boys and I, we love to watch birds in our backyard. It's this picture like, man, God's feeding and taking care of his birds. I trust that he's going to feed and take care of me. Like we grow and being okay with this simplicity and this ordinariness of meeting with the Father. And I love how he says, then the extraordinary will take care of itself. That there's got to be this rhythm and this pattern of saying, God, I want to step into holy ground and I want to meet with you and I want to be with you. And it's in these rhythms and in these patterns that sometimes, man, God's presence falls and he gives a word or he encourages me or he touches a pain place in my heart that I need healing in. Whatever that would be like, it moves and comes in his timing through this rhythm, this patience, this consistency, being okay with the ordinariness of following Jesus, trusting that the supernatural and the extraordinary will come. Guys, in closing, I pray that we would be the kind of people that really desire 
eager hunger for his presence that we would be the kind of people, that we would be the kind of church that says, God, I I want what I read here. I I don't want to serve a God that is bound and locked up in a Sunday service. I want to serve the God who says the Spirit of God falls on man. And Jesus would say, man, it's better that I actually go back to the Father and I leave you because when I leave my spirit, this spirit that fell on Sinai and Trimble, it's like, man, that spirit's going to fall on you guys. And you guys will do greater things than I did and miracles and wonders and and these profound mysteries of God we can enter into. It is a mystery to me. It brought me, brings me to tears to think that, man, God would choose me. There's nothing special about me. But man, you you want me? You want to eat with me? You want to use me for for your kingdom to come on earth? says, God, man, he wants to use you, men and women. He wants to fall and use you. And I pray we would be the people that desires that, man, God, I've got I've to step into that place. The psalmist will write, Lord, I've, I've tasted and seen, like I long to be back in your presence, that there is no physical satisfaction in this earth, in this world, that would ever come close to satisfying us the way that being in his presence would. Like, man, I've tasted and I've seen that you are good and there's no desire of my flesh. There's no money that can buy the satisfaction and the joy that I feel when I'm, I'm just on my holy ground. Your presence falls and you're loving on me. You're ministering to me. You're speaking to me. And that we would walk out of those places and we would be changed that an unbelieving world would say, man, I want that. I'll worship that God because I see something different. And as we continue in worship, we've got communion on both sides of the room here. And this is the picture again as they went up to the mountain. It says they ate and drank with God at his table. Every Sunday we set aside communion as this reminder that through the death and burial and resurrection of Jesus, he wants to eat with us. And we come to the table and we take the bread and we take the wine And we remember Jesus because of your sacrifice, not because I deserve it, but because of your grace and your mercy and your love. I can approach your throne room with confidence and boldness, and I want to eat at your table with you. And so the communion is for the believer. If you have surrendered your life to Jesus, he says, man, come dine with me. And if you've never made that decision, come find myself or some of our prayer team and say, man, I want that. I want to know that God. I want to come and eat at the table. Let today be the day to where me say, man, I want to follow Yahweh. I want to serve Jesus. Father, we love you and we thank you. God, thank you that you choose to rest your presence on people that are undeserving. But because of your steadfast love, oh God, you desire to dwell with us. And that though you dwell in unapproachable light, you welcome us boldly and confidently to walk into your presence. Lord, I pray that you will refine us in this moment. Lord, if there's any confession or repentance that needs to take place, will you boil that to the surface so that as we take of communion, as we eat at the table with you, we would do so with a pure heart. Holy Spirit, will you come and move and have your way in this place in Jesus' name.